Welcome back to seeing life from a different angle. This is podcast number 24. It's been 24 weeks. It's an amazing amount of time, really. It's passed in the blink of an eye, and yet it seems like it has also been extremely long. But I want to thank you, the listeners, um, wherever you are. You know, it's amazing. I think I said this last week, but it's amazing, really, to think about the fact that, you know, here is this one person speaking in... Nashua, New Hampshire, a small little town, relatively speaking, in a vast country, in a vast world, and yet this podcast is heard all over the United States. It is heard all around the world. Seven of the seven continents, if there still are seven, of the seven continents, you know, it has been heard in six of those seven continents, which just blows my mind. Um, and I want to thank you for listening and hope that those who find it worthwhile and interesting are sharing this podcast wherever they can. You know, I wish that uh, it was podcast on Apple as well, but for whatever reason, after 24 weeks, they still are balking at posting it. So who knows? That's their business. None of mine. doesn't really matter. One of the things I, I thought would be interesting to talk about today is parental blame. And I guess the way I would look at it is this, or how it begins is this, is that, you know, uh, over these many, many, many months, you know, my father and I have grown so much closer. Um, my dad lives down in Florida. We live up in New Hampshire. Um, I come from a family of five boys, um, all of whom I am, of whom I am very proud. Um, I am proud to consider myself the brother to all of my brothers and proud to be the son of my parents. And, you know, I was talking to my dad earlier today, who has become a very dear friend of mine. And in talking with him, he was talking about the, the blogs that go along or that have the same name, let's put it that way. They're not the same topics always, but they have the same name as this podcast, Seeing Life from a Different Angle. And he was talking about how much he is touched by, by the blogs and that you know he he started to express some feelings some depth of feelings about you know what it means to him and and i think in addition you know to to kind of offer some measure of for one of a better word apology for whatever sadness or disappointments or frustrations i might have experienced in childhood you know and i called my dad back and we spent some time talking and you know i wanted to reassure him as I and, and I made the topic for today that much more important to be able to say you know I you know it's not your fault you know you didn't do anything wrong in terms of raising me you know we as human beings are a fascinating lot you know we we think we're heading down the right direction we think we're doing all the right things and I think that's the key is that you know, as C.S. Lewis talked about in terms of the moral guides of our life, those three important categories of making sure that we, you know, take care of ourselves in healthy ways, that we take care of others and do not do harm to others, and that we recognize that we are all part of the same family. You know, when I think about my parents and the choices that they made, I do not believe in my heart of hearts that they ever stepped past those lines or ever did anything that they really have to apologize for. You know, they were good parents. And I think, for the most part, 
we as human beings tend to really try to stick by those moral guidelines. We don't always do it. You know, I think invariably, for want of a better word, you know, we are all sinners. We do harm to others. And I think a lot of it has to do with the motivation. You know, after everything is said and done, actions do speak louder than words, but motivation speaks loudest of all. You know, because when we think about the choices that we make in terms of relating to other people, you know, parent to child, we'll say, as is the topic today, you know, when the parent treats a child in a particular way, you know, we have to ask, okay, what's their motivation? Are they doing this because they want to bring harm to me? Are they doing this because they don't really value me? Are they doing this because they don't see me as important or as someone worth loving? Or are they doing this because this is what they think is best? This is what they know is best. It brings us back to the topic that we have talked about, you know, before. And it's important, I think, to elaborate on it, something I've elaborated on a little bit in my blog, which is that, you know, when we think about ourselves from a psychoanalytic perspective, psychoanalytically speaking, we are born with just an id. And the id is that primitive piece of ourselves. But society over time, I think, has taken it and painted it as the dark part of ourselves. And I do not believe that it is the dark part of us. Matter of fact, quite the contrary. I think what ends up happening is that being born that way, you know, the id in that psychological place is just looking for some measure of way to function in the world. You know, all it recognizes is what's going on inside. It doesn't understand all the things that are bombarding it, but what it is able to do is to try its best to reduce tension. That's why a baby sucks on a pacifier or a or a binky, whatever it's called, depending upon where you live in this country. You know, one way or another, it's trying to soothe itself. That's the id basically saying, okay, there's tension I'm experiencing. That's why it leans toward the mother's breast, that not just to feed, but to feel a measure of tension reduction, feel a measure of comfort coming from this other person. And it is a part of our psyche, the, the significant part of our psyche that's there when we are living in this wide open reality, when we are recognizing that there is this world around us that is gigantic and beautiful and full of magic and possibility and imagination, that's that piece that's there. But the real world does strike us eventually. It's going to have to. We're going to have to function in this real world. The question is, you know, does the real world have to eliminate that wide open reality? And the answer is no. You know, we can live in that wide open reality. Unfortunately, what ends up happening is that our parents are raised by parents who also had that challenge, who were also challenged when they were children to kind of push themselves into this myopic reality of I need to function in the real world. This is the way things are. You know, I've got to save money. I've got to make sure I hoard things or protect myself in these ways. You know, my grandparents, they grew up or raised their kids, you know, their oldest child, my father's oldest sister, who is 10 years older than him, you know, they raised her during the depression. And my father was born right after the heels of the depression. But one of the things that they passed on to my father was this need to make sure to hold on to things, you know, to hold on to money, because you never know when the depression is going to come again, you never know when you're going to have a shortage of things. And so it makes sense to hold on to those things. You know, 
my father has loosened up so much over time that as a result of, I think, recognizing that that was a part of the myopic reality he grew up in. But it was the best that his parents could offer because it was the wisest thing that they had, the thing that they'd experienced in their own lives. Both of them immigrants from Italy. They both knew that life can be difficult and can be tough. And so they raised him in a particular reality. And then my father and mother raised us in particular reality, you know, and they did in that reality, I believe, the best that they possibly could because they were trying to live that moral life. They were trying to make sure that they were doing what was good for themselves in healthy ways, while at the same time doing what they could to make sure that they took care of us in the healthiest ways possible. Because, as I say, we're all a part of that family of God. Now, does that mean they didn't make mistakes? No. But again, it brings us back to the question of motivation. You know, when my mother would get frustrated or angry with us because of something that we had done, and invariably with five boys, we're going to do things. You know, when she would get angry with us about those things, was she angry because we desperately treated her poorly or was she angry you know as a byproduct of something that was going on in the external world no not really she was doing the best she could trying to figure out how to deal with life in the best way that she could raising five boys in the best way that she could now i know for some it may think you may thinking be thinking that and there i am stumbling all over myself but you may be thinking that i'm offering an excuse that I'm offering justification. You know, I'm not talking about parents who end up doing harm to their children in irrevocable ways and do so because it gratifies something within them. They break the moral code. They have broken the moral code. And if they're motivated to do so, if they do so and hurt other individuals, it's because they're not living that moral life. But I think for the majority of parents, they're doing the best they can within that moral code to try to take care of their children. It's one of the most difficult roles in the world, I believe, is to be a parent. You know, because for the most part, we have to be thinking beyond ourselves. You know, we have to think about what it is that these other people in life need, these innocents. You know, and I will say without any hesitation that as much as I love my kids and Mary and I have five children and as much as I love my kids and adore them and would do nigh on anything for them, you know, the level of love I have for them feels so small compared to the depth of love that Mary has and shows them all the time. And I am perpetually amazed at how giving and loving a human being can be and how in a way for one of a better word how holy she can be that she is willing to put herself aside and even when she feels badly physically even when she is struggling with worries and concerns and fears she'll jump to their aid at a moment's notice and does that mean that mary doesn't make mistakes no does that mean i don't make mistakes no <laughs> certainly not I think invariably we're all going to make mistakes you know but again I think it does come down to the question of you know how much are we thrusting the status quo of our life onto our children 
you know, a moment ago we were talking about the idea of us psychologically, you know, when we are just an id, when the world is difficult and the world is complicated and invariably it is, that's when the ego develops. And that ego is that part of us that helps us deal with that world. But it's also a very sad piece of who we are, you know. I think it's a sad piece because its entire existence is based on the need and the necessity to try to stop problems from happening or to deal with problems. It doesn't really feel joy. It doesn't really feel happiness. It doesn't really feel satisfaction. Don't get me wrong, I think we all tend to believe that we're feeling joy and satisfaction and happiness, but we're fooling ourselves. What we have, after everything is said and done, if it is ego-based, is nothing. It really is nothing. You know, it doesn't bring us joy to smoke pot. It doesn't bring us joy to drink. You know, yesterday I was driving our youngest son, Michael, to the airport on his way to Denver and passed this sign in Massachusetts. And Massachusetts now, it is more than legal and celebrated to some degree for people to smoke pot and something I really rebel against. And the reason I do, you know, as we are passing this sign, I'll explain it. The reason I do is that when we are passing this sign, the sign says to open, you know, this store, I can't remember the name of it, you know, opening minds in Massachusetts. And I was thinking, you know, you're not opening anyone's mind by smoking pot. You're not opening anyone's mind by giving them pot. You know, what ends up happening is when someone smokes pot, they sink inside of themselves. They give themselves the illusion of peace. They give themselves the illusion of a momentary happiness. But it's nothing but an illusion. And what is an illusion other than a facade, a fog? You know, this haze that we walk through thinking that this is the real world and it's not. You know, all these things that we do that give us the illusion that we are happy, that give us the illusion that we are loved, you know, when we live in these spaces and it's all ego-based, none of it is love. None of it is happiness. Now, I know it is likely that people will say to me, you know, how dare you say such a thing because I really love this person and I really value this person. Okay, that's fine. The question is, do you really love them? Or is it an illusion of love? Is it a facade of love? Is it a weak substitute for what love really is? You know, I think when we go back to the idea of parenting, you know, parenting is an ego-based process. Our parents do the best they can based upon their ego experiences, based upon the status quo that gets developed that helps them to deal with life since childhood. And then you got these two individuals coming together, making children, and having these children be raised by these two individuals invariably their egos are going to have an effect upon the developing child, you know, and for want of a better way to put it, force a child into developing their own ego in order to deal with life. We need the ego, let's be honest. We live in a tumultuous world where, you know, life is not peaches and cream. It isn't beautiful every day. However, I do think that one of the things that's important for us as parents to do is to expose our children to what it is that we have pulled them away from. So what I mean by that is this, you know, when we 
play with children. You know, we play with imagination. We let them roam their minds and their thoughts. You know, I think about the four grandkids I have, and I think about the games that they would play. And Ollie strikes my mind. He is our third youngest grandchild. And he has a wicked, crazy imagination. And he will play these games with himself. And I'll just sit there and listen to him as he's making all these different voices and all these different characters. And they're doing these things with each other. You know, and he's got these tiny little figures that he's playing with. And they've all got these massive personalities all in this world of his own making. And when we grow up, we just stop playing. Okay. You could say to yourself, well, you know, I, I do things. I go out and party with friends or I go out like my son in Denver skiing or I go out to hang out with my friends and we watch TV or we go to a bar or we go to a sporting event. Okay, they all seem like playing, quote unquote, but they're not because they're all wrapped up in our ego. Yeah, because you think about it, you know, you let's say you go to a bar with your friends. And you're hanging out with them and you're chatting it up and talking with each other and you're laughing about a variety of different things and it all feels good. But let's be honest, at the same time, what's stirring up inside of you psychologically? You know, you're thinking, okay, well, does this person find me interesting? Does this person find me boring? I like this person. I don't like that person. You know, is, is this person in love with me? Do they not love me? Who are they looking at? Why are they looking at them? It's this constant barrage of questions that we all have, you know, and that's ego-based. And that's also keeping us from truly connecting with other people. You know, the farther down the line of approximation we are, the more unhealthy we are psychologically, in other words, the more inclined we are to be ruled by our ego as a way to try to desperately hang on to some means of satisfaction, some means of gratification for our lives. But it doesn't mean that it's healthy by any stretch of the imagination, because the farther down we are the line, down the line, the more unhealthy psychologically we are, and the more we will desperately struggle to try to grasp onto something, anything, that will bring us some measure of joy and gratification. I don't know if you remember, those that have listened to this podcast for a while, I talked a while back about this patient of mine who had feared that God was no longer interested in him, that God no longer loved him. And I had said to him at that time, you know, is it God that's turned his back on you or has you turned your back on God? Have you become so ego focused, in other words, focused on how do I find gratification in this painful life? How do I find connections? Does this person love me and care about me anymore? Maybe I should find somebody else. Maybe I should cheat on this person so that I can find gratification in my life. Maybe I should you know, turn this direction, that direction, all these things that we tend to do as human beings in order to try to find some measure of gratification. And the truth of it is, you know, if we turned around and if we saw God there, we would have happiness. We would have joy. You know, we would have what it is that we had in that wide open reality that Ali has in those moments when he is connected to that playful piece of himself and so as a parent, how do we help? I think we help by encouraging our children to return to that more open, wide open reality. 
you know, we have to fight against our natural inclinations to want them to stay in this safe space. But why? What is this safe space? The safe space is really a space of fear. What are we afraid of? What, are, what is it that's going on in the world that makes us so afraid? Okay, yes, there is violence, there is pain in this world, there is loss, there is suffering. But none of that, none of that is more important and more powerful than love. You know, we talk all the time about let there be peace on earth, and I think that that's a wonderful idea. And I had posted something on the, you know, seeing life from a different angle Facebook page, and somebody had written back and said, you know, there will never be such a thing as peace on earth. True. Absolutely true. There never will be. But much like St. Francis of Assisi, shouldn't we strive for there to be peace on earth? And I think the way we begin to strive for that is to put down our own egos and to recognize within my ego, I am living in fear. I may have the illusion of love. I may have the illusion of happiness. I may have the illusion of joy. But we're lying to ourselves because truth lies in God. And by that, I mean that there is only one love. And it is a type of love that God gives to us. It's a love of giving. It is a love of always being willing to take care of the other, to nurture the other, to gratify the other in ways that are healthy. You know, going back to the idea of C.S. Lewis and those three moral, moral realms that we should live in, you know, it's not about not doing harm to others. It is about loving others. It is about taking care of others. And if we work toward that end, if we encourage our children to focus on what it is that is nurturing, is giving, is kind to other people, if we focus on love and not on fear, if we focus on thinking about the other instead of constantly, chronically thinking about themselves or thinking about ourselves, you know, we are a sad and self-centered society. Yeah, I know. It's not going to win me any votes. I'm not running for office, though, thank God. But I will say we are a sad and self-centered society. And it has gotten to a place where we, you know, if someone was looking at us from outside, if there was an alien looking down at us and asking, OK, well, what's going on in these United States? You know, and I, I'm just narrowing it to the United States for this particular moment. But what's going on in this world with these people? You know, there's somebody walking by a homeless person and not caring. They're treating that homeless person like a pile of dirt on the road, you know. And why are we not thinking about that? We, we, we punish people for throwing trash on the side of the road. But we, we applaud them to some sad degree for not giving a dollar to a homeless person, not giving them a meal because that person is a piece of trash. Or at least that's how they are treated. You know, what are we treating? Our, how are we teaching our children? What are we doing to our children to say to them that this is not something you do, that you don't care about people, that you don't take care of the poor, you don't love them? You know, the reason we don't isn't because they're less than us. It's because we live in fear. And when we live in fear, we can't live in love. And so we have this choice to make. What do we want to teach our children? Do we want to teach them that this is a way to live life, that life is about fear? Or do we want to teach them that life is about love? 
It's about turning our back toward God again, not continuing to turn away, living in fear, living in hate. I wish you well.